this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. I'm preaching this morning on this subject, the reason he left heaven. The reason he left heaven. This wonderful book of Hebrews exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one better. And in these verses this morning, we are going to see why Jesus Christ, the greatest of all, would leave this place called glory and step into a world of woe. We're going to see that there was no other way for us to be redeemed. And hopefully before we end today, I hope that you will see that there's no more reason left why you should continue to try to live your life without acknowledging Him as your Lord. Jesus did something for me and for you that He didn't have to do. He left heaven. He had a choice. You see, he could have stayed in that glorious place, but he chose to leave there and come to this earth. Now, you and I may never fully understand that mystery, but the writer of Hebrews, for just a few minutes, is going to try to help us understand just maybe a little bit of why he left glory to come here. I want to share two things with you from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 this morning that will help us understand the reason He left heaven. If you take notes, jot this down. Number one, He shows us the purpose of His incarnation. In verse 14 and 15, the writer of Hebrews takes on the theme that we deal with most often at Christmas time, the incarnation of God, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. Jesus leaving heaven, being incarnated, coming to the earth, taking on flesh, becoming a man. Now, Christianity stands or falls on the incarnation. If Jesus didn't become a man, then then you can't trust this book. I mean, if you can't believe what it says about what happened in Bethlehem, how in the world could you believe what it says happened over in Jerusalem on a hill called Calvary or there in a garden in an old empty tomb? Jesus came. He took on flesh. The Bible says that in order to save those that were made of flesh and blood, He had to take on flesh and blood. To save the lost race of the first Adam, Jesus had to become the last Adam. One of the most wonder-filled thoughts in all of, uh, uh, of the Bible is that the Creator left heaven and became a part of His own creation. He became a lowly man. Philippians chapter 2 says, He made Himself of no reputation, but took upon Himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I want you to reach there and feel your hand for a second. Reach there and feel your hand. That very same flesh that you're made of, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus had flesh just like that. He shared the same experiences that you and I share as human beings. He, he never sinned, but he got tired, he got hungry, he got sick, he got weary, he felt pain during his earthly life, and the pinnacle of that pain was his agony at a place called Calvary. 
And so the incarnation is vitally important to the whole salvation story, to the whole gospel message. In the incarnation, Christ became like us so that one day you and I could become like Him. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to talk to us about in these few verses. He's going to deal with these things that stood in the way of man getting to God. The reason that He came. Notice, first of all, in this purpose of His incarnation, we see that He came uh, 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 to this earth incarnate, number one, to destroy Satan. Look at verse number 14. Verse 14 says, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. The devil. Jesus came from heaven to earth, to destroy the devil. Now, people like to act today like there is no devil. But I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. He's not a cartoon. He is not a fictitious character. He is very, very real. And his power is very much in existence today. The devil does have a power. He holds a power over lost people today, the power that Jesus came to destroy. Look at the second part of verse 14. That through death, he, that's Jesus, might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. In the first part of that verse, the Bible tells us that Jesus took on flesh and blood. And he took part of the same. He became a man. That was absolutely necessary. There was no other way but for Jesus to become a part of the human family. But the last part of that verse tells us the reason he took on flesh and blood. He took on flesh and blood to come and destroy the one that has the power of death over every lost person. I want to tell you today, folks, death is man's biggest problem. Man's biggest problem today is not finances. Man's biggest problem is not earthly relationships. Man's biggest problem is not politics. Man's biggest problem is death. And that's why people are going to such extreme levels today uh, to try to beat old death. I mean, we're trying to beat death, if you just want to be honest with you. We're trying to do everything we can to live longer and longer and longer. But I'm going to tell you something. You can drive by the funeral homes here in this town and see the names on the side. We're not doing a good job beating death. There is a death sentence that hangs over humanity, over every person that is born. You can thank old Adam for that. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. And Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The only thing, you, you think about this, don't forget this, the only thing that the devil justly does is demand the death of a sinner. That's the only thing he does right. He knows that you and I are obligated to die, and he knows that because God's Word says it. He kind of tries to take and hang the Word of God back against God or hold that against God and hold that over us. But verse 14 tells us that Jesus Christ came to destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he came not just to die for sins, but he came to die for me. His death became my death. And now, when the devil demands the death of Chad Smith, the father looks at the devil and says, Devil, you're too late. Chad Smith died 2,000 years ago on a hill called Mount Calvary. That's what Paul meant when he said, I am crucified with Christ. 
Therefore, the devil is rendered powerless in my life today because he's been disarmed. Oh, he used to have a, a weapon that he used against me, that weapon, the power of death. But thank God, Jesus had a greater weapon called the power of life, the resurrection, the resurrection. And at the resurrection, I want you to know, beloved, that Jesus Christ destroyed the devil's plan for you. The devil can't threaten a saved person with death today. But if you're lost, I want you to know the devil still holds that weapon over you. He watches lost people die. And I want, I want you to know it's shouting time in hell when a lost person dies. The devil gets a lot of joy over that because he knows when a lost person dies, they immediately go to that awful place called hell. But one of these days, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want you to know the old devil is going to be cast into the lake of fire and it's going to be shouting time in heaven. And he already knows his faith. Isaiah chapter 14, in that chapter, the devil was told that one day he's going to be brought down to the sides of hell, to the sides of the pit. Isaiah said that those that look upon him in that day shall look narrowly at the devil. I studied that a little bit this week. To look narrowly? You know how you look narrowly? You kind of squint. And Isaiah says we'll look at the devil and say, Is that the one that caused the earth to tremble? That, that guy right there? That's the devil? One of these days, when the devil gets thrown in the lake of fire, you and I will see exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. We will see a devil that has been rendered absolutely powerless because of the resurrection of Christ. Christ became a man. The purpose of his incarnation, number one, was to, to destroy Satan, to render him powerless over the life of the believer. Look at verse 15. The purpose of the incarnation was also, number two, to deliver sinners. Look at verse 15. First of all, he came to destroy Satan and his power. The verse 15 says, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus knew that sinners were afraid to die. Uh, that's why I told you man does everything he can do to avoid death. Man is scared to die. We don't even like to think about dying. And so what we try to do is we try to beat death, and we can't. And then we try to just stay busy with other things to occupy our minds so we don't have to think about our own mortality. We try to avoid death. And a lost person, for very good reason, tries to avoid death. Because, listen, without the gospel, the most frightening thing you can face in the universe is death. Without the gospel. But in verse 15, it says that Jesus became a man. He left heaven to deliver you from that fear. He came so that you wouldn't have to be afraid to die. Jesus Christ is the reason I can say today, Brother Tommy, I'm not afraid to die. And this may shock some of you, but I'm actually kind of looking forward to dying. You say, how in the world? I can say like the Apostle Paul. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's gain. Listen, I, you say, bless his heart, we need to get our preacher to a doctor, he's depressed. No, listen, I don't have a death wish, i got a death hope. I've got a death hope. I, I think about dying, and I think about the moment these eyes close in death, they're going to open in glory. The minute I breathe this last breath here, I'm going to breathe my first breath over there. And so I'm not dreading death, this whole world thinks I'm crazy, but I'm talked that way because I've been delivered from the bondage of the fear of death. 
Turn with me for a second. Hold your place there and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul was telling the church at Corinth some things that came along with their salvation, some things that were given to them as their right of being children of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21, he says, Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. And then look at verse 22. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, or look at that next thing, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. What a curious verse that is. All things are yours. And when Paul said all things are yours, he includes death in that list of all things. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of being given a gift, uh, death is not something I like to imagine being wrapped up in a box, wrapped a bow around, and gifted to me. Uh, that, that, that just doesn't seem right, but Paul speaks to the believer and he says, Hey, saved person, death is yours. In other words, death is no longer a weapon that the devil can wield over you, but now it is a gift God has given you. You say, why in the world would Paul call death a gift? I don't quite understand that. You might have to ask some dear old saint that's suffering with cancer today. And they've been burdened by a body ravaged with that disease. And the talk of death is not a dread to them. For years, they may have been lost and the devil held the power of death over them. But then they got saved, and even in that saved body, they got sick, and they've suffered. And now the closer and the nearer they get to death, it's not a threat to them anymore. It holds no power over them. The devil can't use death to scare them, because death has been rendered powerless. All death can do is promote a child of God to glory. The devil's been disarmed. When Jesus came out of the grave, he had to lay his weapon down. And that's why uh, the devil had to lay his weapon down. And that's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Listen to me, beloved. Death is not a threat to me anymore. It's not a threat to you if you've been saved. It's the gift given by God to take you from earth to eternity. And the grave is nothing more than a dressing room to get you new clothes on for glory. That's all it is. That's no big deal. And now the devil can't demand death for my sin because I'm already purchased. My sin's already been paid for. You see, the New Testament talks about when you get saved, you're in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Paul said in Romans 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. I'm in Christ. What does that mean? It means I'm in Him at His death. I am in Him at His resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, I died there with Him. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. When He came up from the tomb, I rose with Him. I'm with Him at His resurrection, and I enjoy the victory. Uh, because He's alive today. There was a time in my life when I was scared to die. Brother Joe, that's why I got saved. 
I knew even as a six-year-old boy that if I died with the knowledge that I needed to be saved, I knew I'd go to hell. And so I was worried to death as a boy of dying without Christ. Some of you need to think about that today. You need to think about needing eternity without Jesus. It ought to scare you today. And now, because of the cross of the Lord Jesus in the empty tomb, death is not what ushers me into the place of retribution with God. Death is the very thing that ushers me into the presence of the glory of God. Jesus accomplished that for me by His death on the cross. He entered into my death. He endured my death. He tasted my death for me. He satisfied God's demand of the law uh, on, on my sin because I've sinned. And now, because... I've been released, I've been saved, I'm free from the bondage of the fear of death. Now, all death is going to get do to me is just get me to heaven. Glory! One of these days I'm going to die, Brother Leroy. They're going to roll my little fat body down here. It's going to take about ten of you to carry that casket. Y'all going to walk by here and say, oh, poor old Brother Shep. He died so young. Did you hear how he went? He's pulling out of the KFC down there, going across to the Krispy Kreme donut, and he got hit by a large truck. He died so young. <laughs> Beloved, I want you to know in that moment you can cry all you want to, but don't cry for me. I'm not going to be dead. I'll be more alive than I have ever been. Why? Because I've defeated death. You say, you haven't done anything. Oh, yes, I have. There's an empty tomb to prove I've defeated death. I was in that tomb with Christ. I was on that cross with Christ. Oh, I wasn't born yet, but He carried my sins to the cross. He carried me into that tomb, and He arose. i got to move on today. Listen, I exchanged my old death-deserving soul years ago for the righteous, eternal life of Jesus Christ. He came here to destroy Satan. Keep him from holding the power of death over me. And He came here to deliver sinners. And I was one of those, and I've been delivered. I've got to move on. Not only does the writer of Hebrews show us the purpose of the incarnation, but lastly today he shows us the product of his intercession. The product of his intercession. When Jesus died for me, he didn't stay dead. Somebody say amen. He came up from the grave. And because I'm in Christ, he brought me up out of that grave with him. On Resurrection Day, He passed me from death unto life. Do you know where Jesus is today? He is seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's why the New Testament can say that I am seated in a heavenly place today. That's what the last three verses are talking about. Christ has already gone ahead. He has gone to glory. He is now my intercessor. He is my intercessor intervening on my behalf. The only reason I can go into the presence of the Heavenly Father one day, the only reason we can pray this morning and talk to the Heavenly Father is because we have an intercessor. And as our intercessor, number one, He reconciles us. Look at verse number 16. It says in verse 16, He didn't take on the nature of angels. He took on the, the, the seed of Abraham. He's going back to that incarnation again right there. He entered into man's experience. He became a man. But why did he become a man? He became a man to reconcile man back to God. Why did man need to be reconciled with God? Because there was a quarrel between man and God. There was something between man and God. What was it? It was sin. Sin, ladies and gentlemen. A sinner has an issue with God. 
the lost world today thinks, well, I'll get to heaven and he'll just say, come on into glory. I'll forgive you of all your sins. He's trying to forgive them right now, but if you meet him at the gate, ladies and gentlemen, he's not going to let you into his heaven if you've got an issue with him. It's only a matter of time before all men will have to stand before God. And lost men, when they meet God, they will get what is coming to them. Jesus knew that day would come, and so he left heaven. He left heaven, that's why. And he came here to be your intercessor to reconcile you to God. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, he says, in all things it behooved him. That means it was absolutely necessary to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make, there's our word, reconciliation for the sins of the people. We needed reconciliation because we had a sin problem. The only way sin can be taken care of, sin has to be atoned for. The only way man's sins can be atoned for is with a sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The only way man can have a sacrifice offered for him is man has to have a priest, an intercessor, do it for him. And the only way a man can be a priest is he's first got to be a man. And so no earthly priest could give an eternal sacrifice. They had to give sacrifice year after year after year after year after year. Jesus Christ came once and for all offering the perfect sacrifice himself, and he offered it once and for all. And as our priest, he takes the blood of his own sacrifice into heaven's holy of holies, and he pays, covers, washes out, blots out, erases mine and your sins forever. He's our priest. So the writer of Hebrews says he's our merciful priest. Merciful, that means he has compassion. He sympathizes with us. He is our faithful high priest. What does faithful mean? That means you can count on him to show up to work today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you don't get to work tomorrow and you're going to have some old co-worker over there you were expecting to be there to help with this task this week. And they're going to lay out on you. They're not going to show up because they're not always faithfully dependent. But ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the business of you and I being interceded for, i got news for you, beloved. Jesus has been faithful at the job. He's not going to lay out on it. He is our faithful intercessor. He is the one that has saved me. He was there. Nobody had to run, go get Jesus to hear my prayer. When I called on him, he was waiting to hear me ask his forgiveness. And nobody has to ask him to keep me safe. He is faithfully keeping me safe. He is faithfully interceding for me day after day. Now, if you could take Jesus off heaven's throne, I might could get lost again if I didn't have an intercessor. But listen to me. Well, when the Father looks and sees me for what I really am and would pour out his wrath on me, Jesus says, oh, oh no, no, Father, that's one of ours right there. That's one that I died for on the cross. That's one that in 1984 called on my name and asked him to save me. That's one whose sins have been blotted out and remembered no more. That's one that I gave our righteousness to, Father. He's one of ours. He reconciles me to God. He makes me right with God. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is our intercessor. He says in that verse, verse 17 at the end, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. The word reconciliation there really means propitiation. Propitiation is a, a big word. And what it, all it means 
Propitiation is what changes God's attitude toward me. Propitiation is what satisfies God's justice, Brother Gary. Propitiation is what removes God's wrath. You see, Jesus died on the cross. He died there in my And so if you're going to be right with God today, you're not going to get right with God by doing good deeds, by walking the aisle and joining a church somewhere. The only way you're going to be reconciled to God is by placing your hand by faith in the hand of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus reconciles you to God. I priest, He rescues us. He rescues us. Verse 18 says, For in that He Himself hath suffered being tempted, He is able to succor them that are tempted. When Jesus came into this world, He lived as you and I live. He knows what temptation is like. You remember that for 40 days He was taken up onto the mountain He was tempted. And I don't believe that was the only time in His life He was tempted. But at length He was tempted there. The writer of Hebrews tells us later in chapter 4, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. But here in this second chapter, verse 18, he says, In that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able. He is able. Those are three, three of the sweetest words in the Bible, Brother Claude. He is able. He is able. Hebrews 7.25 says he's able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. He's able. Sweet, sweet words. And in this verse, it says he is able to succor them. That word succor in the King James, that's an unusual word. Uh, Some modern translations change it to, to mean he's able to aid or to help. But that doesn't give the full idea of what Sucker means. Uh, the word sucker is an old English word. It's an old English word that would have been used to describe a mother. A mother would sucker a child. A, a mother that would sucker a child, she could hear the cry of a child. Some of you mothers can relate to what I'm about to say. This word sucker speaks of a woman that maybe she's in the kitchen and she's doing dishes and all of a sudden she hears a blunder and then a scream. She drops the dish rag, whatever she's holding in her hand, and she runs without hesitation. She runs without thought for her life without thought for what would happen to her, what she is running into. She would run into the very face of danger if it be required of her. She would not think about it. She would simply run in response to the cry of her child. That is the word, the word picture of this word, suckle. Now look at that verse again. For in that he himself had suffered being tempted... He is able to suffer them that are tempted. Beloved, I want you to know that Jesus Christ hears the cry of a lost sinner that calls on Him to be saved. He knows the devil has a death grip on you. He knows what sin was doing to you. So in response to the cry of humanity, God ran. He left heaven. 
He came down here in a flash, in a hurry. He knew the danger he was going to be in, but he thought, took no thought for his own life. He stepped into the face of danger. He looked the train of God's wrath coming down the track, and he stepped between me and you and took the death blow for us because we needed to be rescued. And I want you to know not only did he rescue me, but he still rescues me. The word here in this verse, he is able to suffer them. That means he's able to keep on rescuing me. Because, listen, I needed his rescue the day I got saved, but beloved, I've needed it a whole lot since then. And when I get tempted, and when I'm just about ready to commit some sin to dishonor and, 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 and disobey God, I can get on my knees and I can say, oh God, if you don't help me, I'm going to commit this awful sin. Oh God, I've been tempted and I need your strength. And can I tell you what he's able to do? He's able to sucker them that are tempted. That means he drops what he's doing. He, he comes to my aid. He comes running to the one. And you know who's there tempting me? It's the old devil. And I can imagine the look on the devil's face when he goes, Oh, heck, here, here he comes again. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus comes delivering me in my time of temptation. What's the devil have to do? He has to flee. He has to flee. You see, Jesus rescues me. He, he, he is my rescuer. And he wants to be your rescuer. You're not left to get to heaven the best way you can. He gets you there. He rescues you along the way. That's how much he loves you today. That's why he became a man. He sees us struggling. He sees man dying. And he loves man so much that he comes down here to keep man from going to hell. And the saddest part of this whole story is that with him leaving heaven and coming to earth... There's still going to be somebody here, somebody listening by the internet today, somebody that you're going to share the gospel with this week. And even though he left heaven and did all of this for us, to be our intercessor, to be our incarnate Savior, some people are still going to reject him. They still choose, choose to go on living, facing death without Christ. That's ridiculous. You, you've got a date with destiny. You've got an appointment with death. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. You're, you're going to meet God one day. You're going to die one day. And you don't have to go through all of eternity suffering the rest of God. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.